Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here's a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, we are going to uh, continue with our Unboxed Christmas series today, where we're just taking one aspect of life uh, that a lot of people think about and dwell upon during the Christmas season. A lot of times it brings difficulty. You know, when we're talking celebrating the birth of Jesus and the warm feelings and the snowflakes and the fireplace, there's still a lot of people that struggle through things uh, through the Christmas season. And we don't, we don't talk about these things enough. We don't admit them. And we want to live in victory over them. So if we are going to take God's word seriously enough in these areas of life, I believe that we can see peace and comfort and victory and joy and contentment and healthy relationships through them all. Uh, Last week, we talked about relationships. So I have it in my notes to ask you, did you take a step this week? Did you take a step in prayer, in preparation, in going to someone's house, writing a letter? Did you do something that the Holy Spirit was leading you to do? And so I have the question, I'm reading over my notes today, and he was like, share what you did. I'm like, I don't wanna share what I did. I'm supposed to share what I did. So it might surprise you to know, especially with my kids, but there are people out there that don't like me at all. <laughs> now, I know that doesn't surprise you. Um, but this week, the Lord took me through two, two areas of, of relationships that I know uh, that I want to be restored to. I'm just not sure that the other individual is ready for. So I want to just be real with you. Is that okay? Uh, so one day this week, I took, um, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half of prayer. And I just asked the Lord, I wrote, I wrote on, the, on the top line of, in my journal, what is it going to take for me to have restoration with this person? And, uh, and again, I want to know that my heart's position, my half of the bridge is built so that if and when they would ever be ready to, uh, that there would be complete restoration, full restoration. So, you know, I thought there was going to be some practical steps, which he did. The Lord did give me some practical steps. But what I noticed after about an hour, hour and a half of this is the Lord took me through an inner healing session, <laughs> really. I mean, he, he, he brought some revelation about a situation that, that broke the relationship. He brought some revelation about me and how I don't have the power to control that person. I don't have, maybe, maybe, maybe the Lord wants you to know this too, that you don't have the power to ruin someone's life. They have power to control their own life and how they respond to the difficulty that you brought to them. And though we talk about the power of our words can kill, it can bring life or kill, Right? So we know that our, power, our words have power, but if somebody speaks words to you that are bringing death, reject them. Not the person, reject the words. Don't receive the words, don't let that stuff get on you, okay? So does this make sense? So your, your words have power, you also have power to walk in. So the Lord, like, like, I know this, but the reminder of I do not have the power to ruin someone else's life. I'm like, that's good news, God, thank you. And the Lord brought me through some other things. I have several pages in, in my journal uh, that he really, he really brought me through uh, an area of inner healing where I had so much peace after this that I know without a shadow of a doubt when the Lord brings this other individual back into communication, I'll be able to embrace the individual with open arms. I'm like, ready, I'm ready for restoration. The, the, second, the second step that I took was uh, just an individual I've been trying to get in touch with and I haven't been able to. So I've had an email written to them for a couple of different weeks and prayed about it, prayed about it and just sat on it, okay? Because I, I didn't know if I had the right words and so on. So this week, the Lord just made, allowed me to have a refreshed view based on what his word was last week. So I preached to myself too, and I, I minimized it and made it just the most important thing. So I wanted to share all these things. You know what I saw in there? Were excuses from myself. I wrote in there reasoning about why this and that, and if you're mad at me because of this and this, but I really had a good reason for this and this. No, 
No, not at all. I, I wrote what the Lord wanted me to do. I got rid of a bunch of stuff and then I send it. So I'm trying to live this thing out too. I took two steps uh, for two specific situations and I'm trusting that the Lord's gonna bring complete restoration and unity through it. So I want you to do it too. I want you to do the hard thing. Unbox this, get messy with the Lord, get messy with your relationships and let him restore. Amen? Amen. So what I wanna talk about today is contentment. It's gonna be an easy one too. Uh, so contentment is a... St- it's a state of mind or an attitude that you have that you are happy and satisfied with life. You're satisfied with the position you are in your career. You're satisfied with the amount of stuff that you have or that you don't have and even your relationships. So what happens is you can walk through with happiness and with satisfaction even when you have a lot or when you have lack, okay? So what I want you to know too, contentment can actually coexist with a desire for more. It's all about what the target is for these two two areas, okay? So follow me out. You can be content with all of your stuff. You could be content if you, uh, you know, if you lost a job. You could be content if you don't have a lot of money. You could be content if you have tons of money. You could be content with the things of life while at the same time desiring more of God. What happens is people get these things mixed up and that's how you backslide is watch how this happens. I'm content and satisfied with where I am in life, or, you know, or I'm sorry, with my relationship with God. I'm content with my relationship with God. It's going fine. I'm just going to leave that here, but I'm desiring more things in life. I'm desiring more stuff. I'm desiring more money. I'm desiring a higher position. Do you see if we get the targets wrong, how what we can end up is being a materialistic person who's apathetic toward God. So what we want to do is have contentment in life, but a desire for more of God. Amen? I want to use a part of the Christmas story as a launching point to this message. And my hope, my desire is that you can find your own contentment in your own story. In Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1, we're reading out of the New International Version today. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So a whole bunch of people had to go back to their hometowns to be counted. It says this was the first census that took place while Quirinius, I always mess that up, Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. Verse four, it says, so Joseph also went up, to the, went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So if you remember from last week, Joseph was planning on splitting up with Mary. He didn't want her to be publicly disgraced. He knew what it was looked upon to be, uh, to be pregnant out of wedlock in those days. So he was ready to leave. The angel of the Lord shows up. He obeys the Lord. He goes against what culture would have done for the sake of keeping a relationship unified. Verse six, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the newer version of the NIV. So many of your translations, if you opened it up to Luke chapter two, verse seven, it will say there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room in the inn. 
So when you read this word in, it makes it sound like there was a hotel in the center of town that was packed out because a census was happening. Everybody's coming back to party and they're counting, you know, everybody's getting counted. So that what happened, you know, you picture it and you've seen the videos, Joseph and Mary are walking, they're like, please, we're gonna have a baby like right now. He's like, no, no, can't have it. And like they were, you know, they were sent out to like an abandoned barn out in the field, like we're near anybody. I'm sorry to say that a manger is not a barn and they were not born in the barn in the middle of a field. So you could say amen to that. Amen. Yeah. So a, a manger is a feeding trough. It's you, from, from my research, it's usually carved out of stone, though it can be made out of wood. We just don't want to bring a heavy stone one up here. So a trough, it's just a, it's a feeding trough. It's where animals can get their food or their water, okay? So what happened is the mangers were kept in the homes at nighttime, where the animals were brought in so they can feed. So if you think about it, there were no Graco pack and plays back then. So a manger could have doubled as a very nice pack and play, a crib at that time. So if you look at this, I looked back at what a Judean house was in that time. So what happened, there were two setups of a, of a house consistently in that area. The first one had an area right near the door that was made from dirt, and the family's animals were kept there at night. What would happen is they would, they would be protected from thieves to come by and steal them, but the animals would actually add warmth to a cold house in there. The, when, the, when these areas of gathering the animals were on the front of the dirt floor, it would step up, and then it would be a different type of flooring, a raised flooring. That's where the family would live. Now, a lot of times, there was something called an what we would say an inn right in their house. It was a guest room. It was upstairs. And that's where people would come to stay when they were visiting. Following me yet? Another setup in towns of Bethlehem in the vicinity were that the backs of their houses were like shallow caves. So instead of having a lower dirt floor in the front, they would keep their animals in the back, but it was still a part of their house the manger would be kept back there at night because the animals would be there. And then the people would live in the front of the house. Either the guest room would be on that floor or upstairs. The Greek word used for the word in, in our translation, actually means lodging place. It's usually translated upper room, not in. In Mark 14, 14, where Jesus had the last supper in the upper room, that's the same exact word that's used when we say there's no room for them in the inn. So I'm sorry to burst your bubble. There was no hotel manager at a big hotel in the middle of small town Bethlehem with a big neon sign that said no vacancy. <laughs> Didn't happen. All right? No holiday inn. So Joseph most certainly stayed with his family. There is no way his family, his ancestral family, would reject him staying with him, especially because Mary was pregnant. So what this verse probably means is that there wasn't enough room in their guest room for her to have the baby. So they went to the open area, they pushed the animals out in the open area, she had birth, and she used, again, her makeshift pack and play to lay baby Jesus, all right? We use the Hallmark cards as our theology. Please don't do that. Even that, we picture him being born like that very first night, like they rushed into town. Read verse six with fresh eyes. While they were there, like they show up, they probably, maybe they got counted already, they're with family, and while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. 
And she gave birth to her, for her, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Bye-bye hotel, okay? So we've got to read these with fresh words. So being content. This was not exactly the way the Jews expected their future king to be born, right? This is not exactly how Mary and Joseph would have expected their baby to be born. And unless they had plans to visit Joseph's family for Christmas, they probably were not going to make this journey. Some of you will catch that later on today. (laughs) So I know conditions weren't the same as they were today, but they obviously had ideas and thoughts and plans of how, watch, like throughout throughout the service, you'll hear people start laughing. They're like, get it now. (laughs) They have ideas of how their firstborn child is going to be born, how it's going to be brought into this earth. And I guarantee it probably did not have to deal with putting their child in a dirty manger where the animal stayed. If you look at the Old Testament prophecies, none of the prophecies gave us clues about the lowly, humble beginning Jesus would have. The prophets of the Old Testament talked about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, being born of a virgin, being born in the line of King David. There's other ones that talked about he'd be a prophet like Moses. They talked about his adulthood, how he would die, and so on. But there's nothing in these prophecies that talked about a long journey of having to be traveled when Mary was nine months pregnant. There was nothing in the text about being born next to animals, being placed in this manger. There was nothing in the text about being born far away from a king's palace where royalty would traditionally be brought into this world. You know what I love about this moment? There's nothing in scripture that says they complained about any of it. Any of it. So think about that. Like they're, they're sent on a journey. It's an uncomfortable one. It's, it's inconvenient. In unpeaceful uh, area where they would have to be, and there's no complaints at all. I believe they kept their focus on the promise. What was the promise? That very soon they would get to behold the Savior of the world. I believe that's how the Lord wants us to live every area of life, right? It's like in our inconveniences, in the areas that seem unpeaceful, in these difficult, inconvenient areas, we can say, I still have the opportunity to behold the savior of the world. But we miss so many moments because why? We want all of our details figured out. We want everything nice and neat, everything in plain order. And when one thing gets out of place, we get all hot and bothered, right? Matthew 6, 25, Jesus is saying very clearly, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Say yes. He goes on to ask the question, who of any of you can add even one hour to your life by worrying? It actually has the opposite effect on it. Worry, anxiety, and stress about all these details, you'll lose days, if not years, of your life with some ulcers to go along with it and sleepless nights and headaches. We think, it's, you know, we think this is natural. This is spiritual. The enemy uses worry, anxiety, stress because we're worried about you know, getting more, desiring more of the stuff that then the result of it is the stress, the headaches, and so on. Later on in verse 33, it says, Jesus says this, but, so instead of worrying about all these things, even in those verses leading up to verse 33, he says, the father knows you need them. He says, pagans are the one that run after all this stuff. 
but your father knows you need them. You know, I, res- I, respect, uh, I respect Christian leaders on social media and, and how they have platforms to influence people. I respect the magazines and so on. I respect the music industry, the Christian world. But if we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap of the rest of culture where we have like the superstars that have somehow found the five keys to success. And then we say it's a godly thing, but in our hearts, we're envious toward them because we, we have to have all the fame and all the stuff and all the success that they have. Amen. And again, I'll remind you, never once will the father ask you if you have attained what somebody else has attained in this life. It's not going to be a part of his question. Not even close. So yes, you can follow other ministers in the way of learning and receiving from them, receive impartation, knowledge, revelation, all that stuff. Just watch so you don't start to want their stuff. Because Jesus says the pagans are what run after this. But the Father knows you need them. So what's Jesus say? Instead of seeking all this stuff, he says, seek first, what? His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. Say all these things. All of these things are going to be taken care of. Isn't that so crazy? We spend time, more time, worrying about all of these things and less time seeking him. We wonder why we're anxious and not at peace. And he's saying the kingdom operates differently. When you stop worrying about all these things and start seeking him, seeking his kingdom, when his kingdom shows up, you get what you need. And I believe you actually get more than you need. We have a distorted view of prosperity here. Prosperity in America is the bigger car, the bigger house, and the bigger this. Listen, imperative to the world, you are rich. The person with the least amount of resources in this room is extremely wealthy compared to probably 70% of the rest of this world. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses. We're kind of trying to watch what culture says. Saying, Jesus is like, stop it. Stop doing this and seek his kingdom. And in his kingdom is found everything that you would need. And I believe more for your enjoyment and so you can pour out to other people who are currently in need. So Jesus is saying here, enough searching and enough desiring material things. Desire God, be content with stuff. Desire God, be content with stuff. So in today's day and age, I tried to picture Joseph and Mary. I pictured a couple maybe from New York City who would have tried to talk the angel into like a contract, right? So we want a certain signing bonus for having the Messiah. This is gonna take a lot of weight on us, you know? We want a bodyguard in case we get publicly ridiculed. We want a private car on our way to Bethlehem. We want, an ex- we want the, the finest suite, the finest birthing suite with the best doctors in this region. And if any of these things don't work out, we'll be sure to have a lawsuit for our pain and suffering. Now, the reality is, is we do approach God like that sometimes, right? We ask him for a blessing, and if it doesn't come in our time or in our way, we somehow hold him accountable, like, right? Like, you actually create a lawsuit against him in your heart. Well, I don't know why God's not doing it. Well, he got, well, he got but I got out of here. I don't know. That hurts me, though, to say, too. <laughs> So Joseph and Mary, they kept the main thing, the main thing, beholding the Savior, beholding the Savior, beholding the Savior. They were not distracted. They were not discouraged by any of the conditions of how Jesus was born. And because of that, I do believe they were able to fully enjoy the moment. 
of the Savior being born, right? I mean, he could, he could have been so huffy and puffy, and Mary could have been ticked off because it's not the right. There's no evidence of that. They were able to enjoy and actually have some visitors, the shepherds that night, who were the lowest of, of the socioeconomic class, showed up. They could have been like, listen, we've had a hard enough night as it is. Our baby's in a manger. Get out of here. None of that happened. None of that happened. So I think about how much, how much could we save ourselves from the complaining, whining, moaning, criticizing, all this junk that we fill ourselves up with. How much of it can we just save ourselves from if we say, God, give me the grace to be content with wherever I am right now. The stuff that I have or that I don't, the people that I have in my life that I don't, the position I have or that I thought I wanted, but it might not be your will. Think about how much we'd save ourselves. Again, less drama, less sleepless nights, less headaches, less ulcers, possibly less medication. Maybe more friends because you'll be more enjoyable to be around. Maybe being content is one of the first steps you need to do before your relationships are restored. Maybe the person that you're mad at, you're jealous at because they have more than you or they have more peace than you or God gave them a breakthrough that you didn't get. You're mad at them and you're mad at God instead of using that as a testimony to say, if God can do that in their life, then he can do it in mine. I just think about so many moments, like so many moments that are lost because we're just not content. We get bent out of shape because the detail doesn't work out. The Lord reminded me when our kids were really young, we went to a special service at another church and of course, we have like four young kids, so it takes a long time to get ready. It's not bad, it just takes a long time. I'm not making fun of you guys, right? It's just a long time. So we're like 15 minutes late going to church. I hate being late. I'm bent out of shape. I am bent out of shape. And I go into like, you know, my pout mode. And I'm telling you, the Lord moved powerfully in that service, and I could not receive. I could not, like, like, you know, my stomach was like so upset from being so bent out of shape. Why? Because you're late to a service. Like, I feel like God's like, give me a break, Kurt. Like you were thoughtful enough to take your kids into the presence of God where he's moving mightily. Yeah. I just remember standing there like hard for me to sing, just faking my way through it. You're thinking like, this is the kind of pastor I have, right? <laughs> you all go through this stuff. It just might not be about late. Maybe you don't care about being late. I don't know. I don't like being late. But the Lord reminded me of that. And he's like, you missed a moment, like a two-hour moment where my spirit was moving. So think about it. In like a week and a half or wherever we are on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, you can miss a moment with your family that you don't with a lot of times. Even if they don't like you, you could still appreciate. I'm serious. They might not like you and you're going to be in the room with them. Don't miss a moment to be peace to them. Don't miss a moment to say, you know what? So we're not in the best of relationship right now, but I'm going to take full advantage of this. I'm telling you, if you get bent out of shape before you ever walk in the room, you'll miss it. Your stomach will be in a knot and you'll miss a moment that God's given you. So I don't want to do it. I don't want to miss those moments. So I was just asking the Lord, like contentment and Christmas, what are people most worried about? So if we could be real for a moment, there's some of you that are emotionally spent, frustrated, and quite frankly, broken because you do not have enough money to buy the gifts that you would want to for your friends, your family, and so on. Or you might feel like people expect something more from you and you just 
can't do it. So what happens is your anxiety rises as your credit card debt rises, right? Again, we see pictures. I'm, I'm, not against, so I'm not against social media. I'm just trying to call out the things that people don't talk about enough. So on social media, we'll see people uh, talking about the perfect gift that they bought their child. Or you'll find out that they already wrapped all their presents and you haven't even started. And a lot of times, a lot of times those gifts are like hundreds of dollars more than you can afford. And instead of being happy for them, you get angry at them, angry at yourself, and sometimes do blame God. Right? So if we're real, if we're real, this is a huge season where you're challenged with contentment. Because a lot of people just want more. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to take the season to seek the kingdom, and he's going to provide what we need. Maybe not everything I want, but what we need. Instead of that, we just continue to want, and we have to get something bigger and more because we see somebody else doing it. So how about if we tried this? What if we actually went to the Lord and admitted to him and to ourselves exactly where we are financially right now? What if you go to the Lord and say, like, I'm really frustrated, Lord. I feel like I should be further along in my career. I thought I was gonna be making more money. I thought we were gonna be able to buy our kids that one big gift this year, but I'm like broken over this. Maybe he doesn't have the financial solution for you right now. Maybe he has a moment for you. Maybe he has something called contentment for you that he actually wants you to draw you in and he's gonna say to you, everything is going to be all right. Maybe he wants to draw you into a closer relationship so you can draw your kids into a closer relationship and Christmas means something so much more than just the hustle and bustle of unwrapping presents. Like what if there was a way we could celebrate God's goodness when we had a lot and then when we have nothing, right? We celebrate God's goodness when we have prosperity because he's a prosperous, generous God. And when we have absolutely nothing, we can still celebrate his goodness because we haven't died of hunger. So he obviously provided you with something. Philippians 4.10 says this. This is Paul talking to the people in the church of Philippi. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Listen to verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. This man has been beaten, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked. He has been through so much more than we could ever imagine. And he's saying that the Lord, he's learned from the Lord to be content whatever the circumstance. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I, I, I slowed down reading those words. We, we just fly through stuff. He's not saying he learned the secret. He learned the secrets of like how to be content and it's step one, two, and three. He's saying, I've learned this secret. It's called being content. And when I've learned to be content in life and with the Lord, no matter what I have, I can do all of these things now through Christ who strengthens me. So maybe this year you got a, a big bonus and you can just pour out to your family members extravagant gifts. I mean, maybe you're just planning on going overboard and you just want them to know how generous the Father is, right? So you just give and give and give. And maybe the same time next year, you're unemployed and you have absolutely nothing. You know what? Your kids are not going to die. 
If you actually went to them and you were honest parents and said, listen, this has been a really tough year financially for us. So instead of exchanging a whole bunch of gifts, we're gonna create some new family traditions. We're gonna go downtown and look at the lights and the gingerbread houses and we're gonna spend time together, right? But what do we do? As parents, we get frustrated and our frustration comes out on our kids. So instead of spending more time, they wanna stay away from us because we're cranky. But we can actually take lack and turn it into something good if we're willing to be content. Philippians 4.13, a lot of times we'll see those on sports posters, right? About like accomplishing a goal, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe that that principle is true. That's just not the context of these verses. He's saying, I can have a whole bunch of stuff or I can have nothing and still be content. I can do all of this stuff because Christ, he strengthens me to do it. So when you see that, if you are in a, a horrible financial, financial situation right now or relational situation or something's going on at your house, whatever it is, you could say, listen, I don't have a lot emotionally right now or financially, I don't have a lot of peace, but I can find contentment and not miss the moment of celebrating Jesus's birth or not miss the moment of transitioning into a new decade. Amen? 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. I love that. Godliness with contentment is great gain, which means you can be going after God and be envious and covetousness and have covetousness toward other people, and that's not great gain for you. That means you know the moments to go after God, but in your heart, you want what your neighbor wants. You want the bigger house, the bigger car, the better vacation. Like maybe actually celebrating the people that have been blessed by the Lord to have those things will bring us contentment. Quit comparing. They're not going to sleep saying, well, look, they don't have what I have. So you don't have to go to sleep thinking, I don't have what they have. Like find somebody that has so much more than you. Say, I am so happy for you. Like the Lord has blessed you with abundance. And then pray for them that they'll be able to use it wisely. Maybe we don't understand the weight that that puts on people at times too. It says, for we brought nothing into this world and we could take nothing out of it. It's good news right there. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. <laughs> I love these verses. We bring nothing in and take nothing out. Hey, if I have something to wear and I have some food for the day, we could be content with that. Those who want to get rich. This verse is not saying those who are rich. There's nothing wrong with wealth. In fact, it takes money to advance the kingdom. I've heard so many pastors like preach so hard against rich, uh, the rich and wealth and so on. I'm like, oh my goodness, if anybody with wealth comes into your church, they're gonna think like you don't like them. It takes money to do ministry. It takes money to give out food at outreaches. It takes money to rent the stadiums to fill with people so they come to the Lord. God's not against rich people. What's the teaching here? People who want to get rich, people who are desiring more stuff and not desiring God. So it says people who want to get rich fall into the temptation and a trap. It's the enemy's trap to want to get rich and into many foolish and harmful desires. You see what's happening? You want this thing called money. You want more money and you fall into the trap and in the lures of other many other foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into, into ruin and destruction. Isn't that wild? You, you take your focus off the Lord and you put it on money and the temptation is you're gonna fall into many other foolish things. Verse 10 says, for the love of money, 
Again, it does not say money is the root of all kinds of evil. For the love of money has that root of all these other evil things. It says some people eager for money, right? They're not content with what they have. So they're eager for more, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is not evil. Wealth is not evil. I had a pastor, uh, we were talking about prosperity and healing and all this stuff. And he was like, this health, wealth and what is it? Health, wealth, and healing. Gospel, uh, it's just this and this and this. He goes, any message that you preach in America, you should be able to preach in a third world country. And I actually believe you can preach a prosperity message in a third world country. Meaning this, the Lord has given you two chickens. You eat, the one chicken is for you and another chicken is for someone with no chickens. That's called prosperity, right? I'm not qualifying wealth and prosperity by how many watches you have. And it's fine if you have a lot of watches, It's the desire for those things rips contentment out of your heart and puts materialism in your heart. So if we say, God, you have blessed me and prospered me. I have more wealth than I could ever imagine. I'm content with that. Now give me wisdom on how to use it to enjoy and to bless other people who don't have. And if you're struggling and you have barely anything, thank God that you are, have clothes on first of all today in church, because that'd be weird. (laughs) And that you have enough food to get by today. Because in those verses that I didn't read, when Jesus was teaching, he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's gonna worry about itself. Today's gonna have enough problems of its own. So if you have food for today, you're doing really well. So you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and there'll be food for tomorrow. There'll probably be another set of clothes too. Probably something small for Christmas. Maybe it's just time with a friend. Why don't we stand? So we want joy, we want happiness during the Christmas season. I actually believe that the doorway to happiness is contentment. We ask the Lord for grace to be content with whatever we have and to be content with what we don't have. I feel like when contentment enters our heart, then we'll be happy. We'll be, we'll be okay to have a lot or to have very, very little. I just want you to bow your heads. We're gonna go, we're gonna sing a song. We're just gonna spend a moment in his presence. We have time even before the end of service usually happens. Um, so we're going to spend time just dealing with that. I want you to, if, even if you have to unwrap that a little bit with the Lord, I'm asking you to do it today before you leave, just to say, can you give me a greater level of contentment than I walked in here? Like the Lord actually wants to change your life. Church shouldn't be a religious routine. It shouldn't be just a place you walk into on a Sunday morning. This is a gathering of believers where the anointing of God can flow through your life and actually perform a miracle. Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on Ken Cherney because he opened his heart to Jesus last week in worship. So all you, you open your heart to the Lord and say, God, yeah, I'm really frustrated with where I'm at right now. I'll start by being honest. That would be helpful. And then God, I want that gift of contentment. I want grace that you have so I can be content. So you can look at your social media posts. You can look at your magazines. You can look at all the cars, and the fancy houses on the way home and still be content because Jesus is more than enough. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Behold the Savior of the world. You have the opportunity all day, today, tomorrow, and the next day to behold the Savior of the world. So with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, I do just want to ask, you're not going to get the happiness if you don't get the contentment, but you're not going to get to either of those if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. So in just you know a few weeks here, we're going to celebrate his birth, but maybe that the Holy Spirit has never birthed that new, clean spirit in you. 
So if you don't have peace with God at your heart, if you don't know if you've ever asked Jesus to become your Lord and your Savior, that means he's in charge. You're not gonna do things your own selfish way. You're gonna let him renew you. You're gonna let him refresh you. You're gonna let him guide you. In that package called being adopted into the kingdom, you actually get forgiveness of your sins. There's healing of sicknesses. There's release and deliverance from the torment of the enemy. It's called his kingdom. His kingdom wants to come upon you today. Uh, Teenagers or youth, I just feel prompted to let you know when you're brought up, you know, especially with like the technology and the gadgets and so on that people have, you're not even aware of it, but you get like brought into this rat race that you don't even know exists. And out of nowhere, there's the desire for the best, the latest update, you know, the best uh, phone out there, the best whatever out there. And it's, it's not bad to have nice things at all. I just want you to know your parents feel the same pressure. It might just not be a phone. It might be a car or a house or a retirement fund. So we face the same pressures that you guys have. And this year could be an awesome year. If you're struggling with that, like, it's, again, if you want something nice, that's perfectly fine. But if it's because somebody else has it, you could probably really help even your parents with some healing too, to go to them and say, hey, I'm really struggling in my heart right now. I like this, but I think it's because of somebody else. You just identifying that, going to your parents, maybe it'll reveal something that's in their heart too. And together as a family, you can find more contentment than you have before. Amen? So Father, I just pray for our youth. I pray from the youngest child in here all the way to the oldest adult in here that we can stop the race. We can stop the comparisons, God. And we can enjoy the nice things that you've blessed us with. We can enjoy prosperity and not feel guilt or shame because of it but that we can be content with whatever we have in life. Father, I pray that at the same time you ramp up our contentment, that you would ramp up our desire for more of you, that we don't come to you for the stuff, we come to you for you, that you would increase our hunger for more of you, decrease our appetite for more of things. Father, we believe it's true because your word teaches it. We ask for the grace to be content, We love you. We thank you. You are more than enough. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Bless you guys until we see each other again. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out at centralconnect.org.